0: Have a seat. Why don't you stand up and say hello to a few people around you? A little handshake, high five, maybe a hug or a holy kiss, something like that. Introduce yourselves to each other for a minute. Miss you too, man. All right, you guys can have a seat. Well, welcome to the well. How are you guys doing tonight? Okay, this is just between us. There's more people that come to the 8 o'clock, but you guys have better energy every time. And I love that about you. love that about you. Uh, Anyway, I've had a few people ask me over the course of the last couple of weeks about this thing that we do on Sunday nights. We call it the well, and they're asking me, why do we call it the well? All right, so I figured I'd take a minute to explain why we call this Sunday night gathering the well. In the arid landscape of the Middle East, wells have long been essential for survival. In that part of the world, water is both scarce and necessary. During biblical times, everyone needed water found at a city well. In fact, they would never build a city. I mean, in the ancient world, they didn't really have, you know, a lot of cities. But in order to build a city in any location, the first thing they would look for is a water source. Is there a a river? Is there a creek? There's not a lot of those in the Middle East. And so, is there access to water through a well? So, then they they would build these cities because they had water access, and everybody from the city would gather around at the well. It was a social event. People would come to the well, and they would, you know, get to know their neighbors there. They would have intentional conversations there. They would bring their herd of, you know, sheep or goats or whatever to give them water to drink at the well. There's also a few examples in the biblical text where uh, a few guys find their spouse at the well. This was true with Isaac and Jacob and Moses. But most importantly, uh, most importantly, often people met God at the well. So, welcome to the well. We hope that this place, that this community, can be a place of friendship and of conversation. I don't think many of you have, you know, a herd of sheep or something that you want to bring in here. Uh, But there may be some of you who are maybe wondering if you might find your spouse in this place. It's possible. We'll just have to see about that one. Uh, But again, most importantly, we hope that this is a place where you can encounter God. So with that being said, uh, tonight we want to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it just so happens that this story takes place at a well. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and if you do not have a Bible and would like one, you can just go ahead and raise your hand, and we've got some friends in the back that would love to help you out. John chapter 4, if you have, you know, an iPhone or something like that with a Bible app, we support that. You can use that as well. John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. We're going to read a little bit and talk about it for a little bit, and then we'll read a little bit more, uh, kind of chip away at it throughout the night. Starting at verse 1, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the Well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, now let's look at a couple of things from these verses. Jesus is in Jerusalem, in Judea, and he is going back up north to Galilee. If you could put up the map here, that would be helpful. Okay, so Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's got to go north to Galilee. If you follow the green line, I know it's kind of hard to see, but it kind of cuts through Samaria and eventually gets to the Sea of Galilee. However, most religious Jewish people did not want to associate with Samaritans in any way possible so instead of going straight north on the shortest quickest route they literally would go from jerusalem east down towards jericho they would cross over the jordan river they would travel north along the east side of the jordan river cross back over the jordan river again the other side and then eventually get to galilee and just not have to travel through samaria altogether If you were in a little bit of a hurry on your feet, which I don't know how you do that, there was a small town right on the edge of Samaria that religious Jews could stay in overnight at that small town so that they didn't have to spend the night in Samaria. So they spend the night in this town just before they cross into Samaria so then early the next morning they could get up and kind of shoot through and try to not have any contact with Samaritans but this text tells us in verse 4 Jesus had to go through Samaria Jesus was a religious Jew did he really have to go through Samaria I think that's an interesting question Uh, it says that it was about the 6th hour which means noon, 12 o'clock noon the heat of the day, the hottest point of the day. This is not a time when people would usually go to the well to draw water because it was in the heat of the day. So there's a reason why this Samaritan woman, and we'll kind of get to that in a minute, I think she is even an outcast amongst Samaritans where she wasn't even wanted or welcomed at the normal time to gather around the well. So it's noon, it's the heat of the day, And Jesus comes, tired, weary, from his long journey north. And he sits down by the well. And he begins having a conversation with this Samaritan woman. Okay, so Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Who are these Samaritans? Let me take a minute to say something about that. In 722 BC, you know, quite a bit before this story takes place, God's people, the Israelites were not following in the ways of God. They were practicing idolatry. They were chasing after other things of this world. And so God, as a way to kind of punish them, he sent in another empire of people known as the Assyrians to kind of come in and there was war and they wiped out the Israelites. While the Assyrians come in to wipe out the Israelites, they take some of the Israelites into exile and a few of the Israelites kind of stayed in the land. And then the Assyrians kind of brought themselves and kind of lived in the land as well. And so the leftover Israelites and the pagan Assyrians eventually intermingled and intermarried. These people became known as the Samaritans. So they're half Jew, half Gentile. They're considered unclean and no religious Jewish person wanted to even associate with them because of who they were. Uh, The Samaritans also only accepted the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They did not accept the prophets. They didn't accept the other history books. They didn't accept uh, the Psalms or the Proverbs and there's even a remnant of Samaritans that are still left today in Samaria. And Stacey and I have had some interactions with some of them, and they still believe the same thing. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the holy book, are the holy books. The rest are just other, other writings. And because the Samaritans were not allowed to associate with the Jewish people, they set up their own place of worship. So the Samaritans set up a, a temple to worship God in Samaria while the religious Jewish people were worshiping in what city? Jerusalem. Okay. So that, that part of the story kind of comes later. We're not going to dive into that tonight, but just know that if you're reading this story, that's kind of what's going on there. They set up, the Samaritans set up their own place of worship on Mount Gerizim in Samaria because they're not really allowed to come to Jerusalem. Can you feel the tension a little bit here between the Samaritans and the religious Jewish people. We live right now in a culture that is filled with maybe similar tension, right? The political climate of the United States right now. My, newspe- my, my Facebook newsfeed, is still like this, right? Anybody else? I think we can feel that a little bit, and that was magnified even more so. And so Jesus comes, he has to go through Samaria, he sits down in the well and he starts talking with a Samaritan woman and he's breaking all kinds of cultural rules. He's a Jew talking with a Samaritan, he's a man talking with a woman, he's considered righteous, she's considered unrighteous or unclean and Jesus asks her for a drink. Now culturally, if Jesus drinks out of the cup that an unclean woman gives him, Jesus then would become unclean. That's a big deal for Jesus to ask her for a drink from her cup. Let's keep reading the story, shall we? Verse 10, 10, 11, and 12. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, he would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Okay, so she says to Jesus, The well is deep. How are you going to draw water from this well? Archaeologists have actually found this well that this story talks about. I've been there, and it looks sort of like this. Well, it looks like this. Uh, The one on the right, that's just a a jar in front of it on the left. The well today is over a hundred feet deep. So she was right when she said the well was deep. I think it was probably deeper 2,000 years ago. I mean, we don't know for sure. But I also think it's interesting. In verse 12, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? she's kind of trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy who do you think you are now Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel and in this passage it tells us that Jacob bought a piece of land and he gave it to his son Joseph and Jacob is the one who kind of established the well in Samaria and so Jacob is kind of this hometown hero everybody in Samaria loves Jacob because he gave us the well, and he gave Joseph the land. And so, who is this Jesus guy that thinks he could possibly be even greater than Jacob? In verse 10, Jesus said that he would give her living water. I want to teach you a Hebrew phrase. Say, mime. haim. Say it one more time. mime. Hayim, Maim Haim is living water. Okay? Now, a couple of things about living water. This is a really big deal. When Jesus says, uh, I will offer you living water, it's a really big deal to her and to uh, the biblical story. Living water is water that flowed, as in a spring or a river or something like that, a stream. Uh, Not something that was from man. Okay? A cistern or something like that, that would not be considered fresh water or living water or mime haim if you will. If you turn on your faucet in the bathroom, that's not really considered living water. Living water comes directly from God himself. It's the rain that comes down. Does that make sense? Okay? Uh, the other thing about living water is it's the only kind of water that could be used in ritual washings to make worshipers clean or pure. Now, there's a few other passages from the Old Testament that could have come to mind when Jesus says, I will offer you living water. The first time that living water or maim haim is used is in Genesis chapter 26 when Isaac digs and finds a well of living water. That's Genesis 26, verse 19. And then also in Leviticus 14, 52, Leviticus 15, verse 13, and Numbers 19, verse 17, living water, or maim uh, haim, was commanded to be used in purification ceremonies. It was used to cleanse people. There's one more passage that I think could have come to mind for John's readers. It's in Jeremiah chapter 2. And God says this, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug for themselves their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug for themselves their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that are not full of living water, and they can't hold any water at all because it's broken. I think that passage may have come to mind to John's readers as well. Let's continue the story. Verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband either. What you have just said Is quite true. How interesting it would have been to be a bystander in this conversation. Right? Jesus comes along, a religious Jewish man. He sits down by the well, tired, hot, sweating. It's noon. He initiates a conversation with a Samaritan woman who has a past... They have this conversation, and Jesus is like, okay, so why don't you go call your husband and come back? Um, I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. I know your story. I know your past. I know that you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband either. And I, I feel like when Jesus is saying this to her, I imagine his tone is with, so much love and compassion and just brokenness, not, not judgmental. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think that's who Jesus is. He's just like, hey, I know. I know you. And I know your story. And I know that you're chasing after these things and that you're, you're thirsty. And you're trying to quench your thirst with these guys, and it's just not quite working out for you. So let me let me offer you something else that will truly quench your thirst. And the woman says, give me this water. Now remember, living water was used for cleansing and for purification. And I think in this moment, she knows that she needs to be cleansed. And so she's asking Jesus, please give me this water. Please cleanse me from my past. I know that the stuff that I've been doing is not quite who I want to be or who I am made to be. Give me this living water. Give me this mime haim that you speak of. I think if we're honest, we're all thirsty. We're all in need of cleansing in our lives. And so I want to look at this woman and say, at least my my story isn't that bad. But I also want to look at my own heart and know that I have my story and I have my stuff. And I want to be thirsty and longing for something more. Anybody watch the Super Bowl last week, last weekend, last Sunday? Anybody go to Three Mile Project and hang out there and play volleyball and stuff like that maybe watch some of the game? Incredible football game. If you're a sports fan, you loved that game. If you're a Falcons fan, you hated that game. If you're a Tom Brady fan or Michigan fan, you loved that game. So, uh, I'm a Spartan and I thought the game was whatever. So, anyway... Uh, What an incredible game played by incredible athletes. The world's greatest athletes come together for this pinnacle moment to compete. Uh, Speaking of incredible athletes, anybody know who this is? Okay. This is Deion Sanders. Okay. Deion Sanders used to play football. Now he is one of these guys that has fancy suits and talks about football, Stacy's least favorite thing about the game. Anyway, Deion Sanders was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in 1989, and then he also signed on to play baseball with the New York Yankees. He was an athlete. Playing for both teams, Deion Sanders became the only athlete ever to hit a home run and score a touchdown in the same seven-day period. He is also the only athlete who competed in both a World Series and in a Super Bowl. In Super Bowl 29, he was playing for the San Francisco 49ers and they won the Super Bowl. He then was traded to the Dallas Cowboys, signed a $30 million contract for five years, and the Dallas Cowboys won Super Bowl 30 the following year. In an interview, this is what he had to say after that Super Bowl victory. I remember winning the Super Bowl that year, and that night after the game, I was the first one out of the locker room, the first one to the press conference, and the first one to go home. And I remember my wife, Carolyn, saying to me, baby, you just won the Super Bowl. Don't you have a party downstairs to go to or something? And I just said, nah. And I rolled over and went to sleep. That was the same week that I bought myself a brand new $275,000 Lamborghini. And I hadn't even driven it one mile before I realized nope, that's not it. That's not, not what I'm looking for. It's got to be something else. I'm so hungry. He continued by saying, I tried everything parties, women buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I mean, I was playing great. I got all this media attention, and everything the world has to offer, but no peace, no joy, and just emptiness inside. I tried throwing myself into my career, into sports, trying to see how far I could go. And when I achieved every goal I could think of, I was right back where I started, empty, empty, empty. Empty. And nothing I did could touch that deep loneliness inside of me. I was just running, and I couldn't stop. Deion Sanders, one of the most successful athletes still had this longing, this desire, this thirst for something more and couldn't quite figure out what it is. What about you? What are you thirsting for? What are you longing for? What are the things in your life that you're striving after in hopes that that will bring joy and happiness and satisfaction. Maybe it's a relationship with that special someone. Single awareness is, you know, in two days, right? Single awareness day, two days. Something like that. that, is what I hear. But that day is just hard for some of us, right? Man, if I just had a boyfriend then I or if, if she would just notice me then I would feel better about myself or whatever that is or maybe maybe you try to quench this this thirst with things like sex or pornography only to find out that lust is a lie that is never satisfied Or maybe it's with alcohol and partying and, and taking shots like our, our friend Riley was sharing. Yeah, but it's my 21st birthday, and isn't this supposed to be like a, a free pass? Because I know this is what people are supposed to do, and it's supposed to be fun, and the social media tells me this. And... But then afterwards, there's this feeling of emptiness, longing for something more. Or maybe you thirst for academic success. And you're going to do everything you can to get good grades, to get a step ahead of the other people in the class so that you can get that job. And when you get that job, you're going to do everything you can to climb the ladder higher and higher and higher so that maybe someday, one day, you can get to the top. And when you get to the top, you can look down and realize that wasn't it either like Deion Sanders indicated anyway. Or maybe it's your body image and you're trying to figure out, you know, just if I I worked out a little bit more, bulked up a little bit, shed a few pounds, then, then I'll be happy. Then I'll feel good about myself. Or maybe it's not your body image, but maybe it's your, your social media image. Right? We love to post things on social media. I feel like we spend half our lives with our necks bent down like this and just scrolling. You ever stand in line without your phone out? It's just amazing, right? And then we try to post these pictures that are extremely extravagant and it's not necessarily real life. I'm going to post pictures of like my cute kids, not the ones of my cute kids screaming their heads off. Right? We kind of present this false self a little bit. And when we do get that perfect shot, we're going to add like 14 hashtags at the bottom so that other people can maybe hit the hashtag and maybe see, you know, my picture. And then I can get more likes and maybe more followers. And if I get more followers, then I'll get more likes. And if I get more likes, then I'll feel better about myself. Because if I take a picture and I only get 27 likes, then maybe I I don't have enough friends. But if I get 100 likes, then... There are things in this world, and I'm not saying all these things are bad in and of themselves. But we take these things in hopes that they quench a thirst that we have only to find out that they can't ultimately quench the thirst we have. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug for themselves their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The people of Israel, the Samaritan woman, Dion Sanders, myself, and others in this room have at times forsaken God and chased after or are chasing after other people. Things. What are you thirsting for? What are you striving for? Tonight we want to give you a few minutes to reflect on this question. I'm going to invite my friend McKenna and a few people from the worship team to come on up. Uh, And they're going to sing a song that McKenna wrote uh, a few weeks ago. And so while they are singing the song, the words will be on the screen. I just want to invite you to just sit and reflect on these words, and on this story, and on your own life. What are you thirsting for? What are you longing for? What are you striving for? Where are you tempted to compromise and chase after broken cisterns that can't fully satisfy the living water Jesus offers us?
1: Straight clouds hang over me. The air is thick with doubt. I can't see that the king of kings.
0: Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want to finish the story tonight. John 4, verse 28. 4, verse 28. It says this, Then leaving her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward Jesus. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, God. Thanks be to God. So this Samaritan woman is sitting at noon by the well. She has her stuff. She has her story. She has her past. But she has this encounter with Jesus who offers her living water. And it's in that moment when she knows that she can be purified and she can be cleansed that she can find true satisfaction in something other than what she was chasing after, she leaves her water jar there. And she runs into town. And she says to all the other Samaritans in town, Hey, you guys, guess what? I met this guy. His name is Jesus. And he knew my stuff and he loved me anyway. And he offers me living water to purify, to cleanse, to redeem me. Come, you guys, come. You've got you to meet this guy. And the, the text tells us that they came out of the town and they made their way toward Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's still sitting at the well. People come from town to meet Jesus. Jesus, who's still sitting at the well. And many Samaritans believe in Jesus because she told her story. Dion Sanders had a couple of friends who were Christians. And in this season of emptiness and loneliness, he had a few intentional conversations with them. Uh, And eventually, he encountered Jesus one morning at four o'clock in the morning. And that same interview, this is what he said. I put my trust in Jesus, and I asked him into my life. And as soon as I realized what I had done, I was so excited, I had to tell somebody. So I got on the phone, and I called my attorney. And I said, Eugene, I did it. I got saved. After that, little things started to change. I was just feeding myself day by day, constantly growing in the faith. God told me to have courage to go on and to speak what he had done in my life. And it was just a complete and total transformation that began to work inside of me. Deion Sanders had this encounter with Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, he too realized he wanted to leave his water jar at the well. He wanted to leave his past, and he had to tell somebody immediately. So he gets out his phone and he says, Hey, Eugene, I know it's only 4 o'clock in the morning, but guess what? I have to tell you. I had to tell you about this guy named Jesus and what he's done in my life. I love that. Eugene. I wonder what that phone call was like. He was so excited he had to tell somebody. What about you? What are you thirsting for? What are you longing for? What are you striving for? What are you hoping will quench this thirst that we have inside of us? For some of us, this is the question we need to wrestle with tonight. What are the things that are trying to find satisfaction in? And what are ways that I need to get rid of those broken cisterns and turn to Jesus who offers cleansing and satisfaction? Through living water. And some of us in this room might say, you know, that's, that, that was my story. I was chasing after those things, but now I know that Jesus is truly the only one who can satisfy these desires that I have. And if that's you, that's awesome, and we celebrate that with you. When's the last time you told somebody your story? This woman has an encounter with Jesus. She leaves her water jar. She runs into town and she has to tell everybody. Deion Sanders, it's four o'clock in the morning. I gotta tell you, Gene. What about you? Who do you have to tell? So the Samaritan woman goes into Samaria and she tells everybody in the town and everybody in the town then comes to the well to meet Jesus. What if you and I were telling our story to the people outside of this building throughout this week? What if we were telling our story to our classmates, to our coworkers, to our neighbors? And what if through that, they also wanted to come to the well so that they could encounter Jesus, the living water Themselves. What if? What if there's an open seat next to you that's not open next week because you shared your story? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you that for whatever reason you had to go through Samaria. And thank you that you were willing to break cultural rules or cultural standards to initiate this conversation with this broken Samaritan woman. And thank you for the ways that you loved her and extended grace to her and cleansing and healing. And thank you for the ways that you did that for somebody like Dion Sanders. And thank you for the ways you've done that for people in this room. God, we pray that you will open up our eyes to see you for who you really are. I pray that the temptations of this world that detract us, the things that we fill with our lives, hoping that they will bring us some sort of happiness or satisfaction, I pray, God, that you will help us to say no to those things and say yes. To you. When we are thirsty, may we drink of the living water that you offer us. And God, we also ask that you will give us courage and boldness and opportunities. Give us opportunity this week to share the work that you have done in our lives so that other people too can encounter you at the well. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.